Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, a couple days ago, I was riding in the car with one of our elders. His name is Rich. Uh, he just joined the elder team this year, and so you'll get to know him a little bit. And we were running some errands together, and he asked me this question. He said, hey, Mike, do you like being a pastor? And I thought, this sounds like a trick question coming from someone who's like technically my boss, right? I got to calibrate pretty carefully how I answer this question. Do you like being a pastor? I've been a pastor now for about a decade, a little bit over 10 years And I decided my best route was just to be honest with them. And I was like, you know what? Being a pastor is weird. It's weird being a pastor. I still have not gotten used to it. I still don't wake up and think, oh, this is a normal thing for me to do. And I I told him, there are things about it that are really great, and there are things about it that are difficult and that are challenging and that stretch me. You know, preaching and teaching, that's something I enjoy doing. And so in as much as being a pastor involves doing that, I love it. Other times, uh, particularly at a small church, this kind of happens. Pastor might mean you're the IT person of the day, spending like six hours on the copier machine, or you are um, the the janitor, or you are the design person, right? There are all these kind of different vague roles that might occur um, being a pastor. I I was reminded of a quote by uh, Peter Lightheart. He says this, Pastoral ministry is the most wide-ranging and challenging vocation known to mortals. Now, that might sound like an overstatement to you. Know that he's a pastor, so give him some grace. You're like, my job's pretty hard too, Peter, okay? But he says it's the most wide-ranging and challenging vocation known to mortals because people's ideals, the ideal pastor would have the rhetorical skills of Winston Churchill, the compassion of Mother Teresa, the tenacity and courage of a Navy SEAL, the intellect of a lawyer, the patience of Job, and the vision of Ezekiel, the creativity of an entrepreneur, the management skill of a CEO, the magnetic energy of a rock star. They'd be exemplary in their devotion to Jesus and the uprightness of their character, and they're usually asked to be everywhere for everything, for every person. And I was encouraged reading this because I was like, yes, 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 I meet all of these different boxes, these checklists. No, but pastoring is, is, is kind of weird. And, and to be honest, church is kind of weird. So I'm, I'm part of a, a group of pastors who pastor small churches because they're under 100 people. And, and, and relatively speaking, we're probably the most successful of the churches. And, and I woke up just this morning and saw a message had kind of been posted. And, and the message kind of broke my heart. It was from this pastor. And here's the question. How do you get a church member to care about your church? And I thought, well, first, that's a good question. <laughs> Second, I don't know if I have the perfect answer. I mean, it's, it's hard to get people together. It's hard to get people to care about something. It's hard to get people to commit to something. It's hard to do church. Church is a weird thing to do at times. It, it takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes time out of your week. And at least once a year, I try to take some time and spend a Sunday and talk about why we do what we do, why we are a church, why we exist, what we want to be as a church, and what we want to be as a church going forward. And so this morning, that's what I want to do. And really, I want to make this argument, this suggestion, this request to you as we move forward into a new year. I want our church, Sweetwater Christian Church, 
to be slower and to be deeper. We live in a fast world and we live in a shallow world. And in a fast world and a shallow world, I think we will be faithful to be a slow church and a deep church. Flip with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. Let me invite you to join with me to look at a passage of Scripture together. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black hardback underneath a seat around you. You can grab one of those and open up with us. It'll be on page 1007 if you're in those black hardbacks. If you're on your iPhone, it's just wherever that is. It's not in the games app. (laughs) Hebrews is a letter that we have in the Bible. It was written by a pastor. It's a sermon that he gave to a congregation. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote it or what the exact congregation was, but we do know it reads just like a sermon. And we'll see that he has this same issue, the same thought in his mind. He wants to make sure his congregation knows why they are what they are, why they do what they do, and why they need to continue to do it in certain ways. And so we'll pick up in chapter 10, reading in verse 19. It reads like this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, as is the habit, or not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can see just in this one short passage, a couple of themes stand out. He talks about the great salvation that we have as Christians in Christ. He talks about the great high priest that we have. He, he says we can enter into God's presence with confidence because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. He says we we can draw near to God with a true heart of faith. And he says continue to do that. Continue to hold fast to your confession. Continue to hold on to that hope. And then he tells them as a group of people in verse 24, and this is where I really want to camp out. He says this, let us consider. Let us think about. Let us brainstorm. Let us work hard to come up with the most faithful and effective ways to do what? stir one another up, to provoke each other, to get each other moving and doing and acting, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day is drawing near. I love reading this passage because apparently low church attendance was not just a 21st century problem, right? Even back in the first century when Hebrews is written, people had busy lives. And they had things going on and things that took their attention and things that distracted them and things that took their time. And apparently in the congregation that this pastor is writing to, there were certain people who had kind of lost sight of the importance of gathering together and worshiping. They kind of lost sight of a vision for what the church is and and what it does and performs and functions in our life. He says, we got to get together together to stir each other up, to love and to good works. One way of saying this is 
is one of the things the church does is we come together and, and with the things that we do and the way that we worship and the way that we relate to one another and organize ourselves, we live the life of Jesus. We learn and grow and practice love. We recognize and execute the good works God has planned out ahead of time for us. This is living the life of Jesus. The church is a community of people, not just a building, not even just an event like a service. It's a community who comes together and they participate in actions. They encourage and talk to one another. They take time to take the time to live out the life of Jesus. And he says, as you do that, be careful not to neglect how important it is to be meeting with each other. You've got to encourage one another. It's a busy world. It's a fast world. Again, even way back then, they, they were having a hard time remaining committed, having a vision for what church was and, and what it accomplished in their life. And I think this has only kind of increased in our time. We live in a world of productivity. We live in a world of technology. We live in a world where things are fast and quick and convenient. And we live in a world that has been designed very specifically for all of these things. I don't know if you saw this, but this is great. Um, It was going around. It was kind of viral. It was a news article. Some designers had come up with a way that they thought they could increase productivity in the workplace. And it had to do with changing the design of toilets. Did anybody see this? Couple people. Strange indeed. Here was the idea. Here was the design. They developed a toilet that was angled just a couple degrees downward so that there's so much weight on your legs and hips that it's very uncomfortable and you do your business and you get out of there and you go back to your cubicle and work. And people enjoy their potty time, okay? And there was mass rebellion. And it was this example, right, of, of, of an administrator sitting in a, in a meeting room, in a boardroom, going, how can we get people to spend 20 more minutes at the cubicle? Uh, they've been playing on their phones in the bathroom. Let's design that in such a way that, that they're, they're not incentivized to do that anymore. We often don't realize how, how intimately and intentionally our world is designed around us. The spaces are designed. Our cities and neighborhoods are designed. In the inner city, Benches are designed in certain ways, perhaps so that homeless people don't sleep on them. In certain businesses and certain buildings, sometimes the entryways are designed in certain ways where people won't loiter and hang around or young punks won't come with their skateboards. Restaurants designed in such a way that you'll want to come in and it's comfortable enough for you to sit down and eat and enjoy, but not too comfortable for you to stay too long and not be able to be replaced with another customer. We live in a fast world. And often what happens in a fast world is it comes at the cost of quality. It comes at the cost of depth. And so there's a sociologist, George Ritzer, and he he came up with this um, kind of theory of what's happened to our world. He, he calls it the McDonaldization of our world, which is just a cool term. Take that with you today, the McDonaldization of America. And, and basically, he defines it as this. It's the process by which the principles of the fast food restaurant are coming to dominate more and more sectors of American society as well as the rest of the world. A movie came out a few years ago. I don't know if you saw it about how McDonald's was founded, and it was interesting to kind of see 
And it was um, something that is hard to kind of think about a world before McDonald's. Um, a world before you have this kind of international, worldwide brand, and before you have a company that really perfects a handful of business principles that start to get applied all over the place in government and business, and then that tempts the church to try to adopt. So there's four principles of this McDonaldization, four dimensions to the phenomenon. It's efficiency. It's got to be quick and efficient, costs as little as possible. It's got to be predictable. You've got to have the same thing over and over and over again. That's why the brand means something. If the Big Mac it always tastes differently, right, there's no real point for the Big Mac. If you go to the McDonald's in St. Louis and order a Big Mac, it's going to taste the exact same as if you go to McDonald's in Paris and order the Big Mac. This is part of the process. It has to be calculable. There have to be quantifiable results. You have to be able to, to, to see metrics, profits, numbers, and you've got to have tight, tight, tight control. It's fast food, which means that it's cheap calories, and they're given to you quickly, often individually, and they're tasty, but it's not satisfying. I was over in Europe a couple years ago, and, and what we figured out over there, me and my buddies, was that if you were looking for a clean fast food restaurant, you'd go to a McDonald's, which is odd because here in Sugarland in Houston, I don't usually associate McDonald's with like the cleanest and nicest of the fast food restaurants. It's Whataburger or In-N-Out, whichever of the two religions you belong to. But over there, it was a sure bet that it was going to be as clean as anything you would find in the entire country, the entire continent. You walk in, and they had technology that they don't have over here. It's been a few years. They still haven't brought it over here, at least in the McDonald's that I know of. They have kiosks where you self-order, and you can customize your order. And by the time you interact with this machine, by the time you get up to the counter, it's already ready for you. And your interaction with a human is like almost nothing, which for an introvert like me seemed pretty amazing and made me a little upset that they haven't brought the technology over here. I don't know what that says about us, that we don't demand better. I don't know. They own it. They know how to do it. And so you see this in business, and you see this in government, and it's not necessarily a bad way to make money. It's not necessarily a bad way to reach people, but it perhaps can be a temptation when churches start to adopt and pick up on some of these principles and some of these models. You know, there's two ways we could perhaps think about what a church should be, what a church is, two metaphors we could use. The first would be a resort. I don't know if you've ever been to a resort. My family growing up were Disney fanatics, and we went to Disney World all the time. And Disney resorts are like the epitome of the McDonaldization of vacations, right? You knew what to expect. It was clean. It was fun. It was perfect. It was all catered directly to you. Everything was about you. And some people view church this way. Church exists to meet my needs, my felt needs. Church should have everything that I kind of want it to have. The church should be able to do things successfully at all times and in all places. It should be professional, clean, and put together. I should be able to enjoy it kind of by myself individually, if you would. There's another metaphor, though, that we could use to, to try to think about the church, and, and it would be a family. 
And the family's a lot different than a resort. It's a lot messier, a little smellier. Families are, are, are a little bit more complicated. You're forced to interact with one another. You don't always have your needs met. Often the whole thing's not about you. You're actually working to contribute to the, the greater good, to the common good, to the, the group. And there's disappointments and there's failures that you have to just endure that end up shaping you and growing you and molding you. And we can think of church in both of these metaphors. In fact, I, I don't think this is a bad way to kind of analyze kind of models of, of being church that, that you see even here just in the, the greater Houston area. A kind of McDonaldized type church um, is one where you're going to get something quick and easy, and it, it's going to be tasty, but maybe not satisfying. And so, so you're going to get a sermon that's packaged very cleanly and professionally in about 20 minutes, and it's going to have three steps to the perfect marriage. And it's going to be relatable and digestible by as many people as possible, appealing to as many people as possible, able to be repeated and produced and franchised, so we can build more buildings and expand the brand. And yet, like fast food, sometimes people leave feeling not satisfied, feeling a little empty, feeling like they didn't really get fed that much. Like there were calories there, but they weren't super nutritious calories. At a family church, you might get a little more depth. You might get something that's a little messier, a little less repeatable but something that maybe fills you up a little bit more. You know, one of the, the comments we, we get by visitors who, who come to our church and, and we ask them, what did you think about it? Um, and, and kind of, who do you think our, our church would appeal to? They, they say, the church seems like it would be a place for people who are wanting something a little bit deeper out of church, something, something a, a little more intentional out of church, a, a place where... Um, the community has been built a little bit tighter because they've taken the time to take the time to live the life of Jesus together and, and, and where we kind of dig into some more topics and issues. And so it's a, a place where I can be honest about my doubts and it's a place where we can talk about controversial things. And this summer at a leadership meeting, we, we had um, asked these questions of some recent members and visitors and, and we got the, the answers back and, and they were along those lines. And, and we sat around as a leadership team and we said, yes, that's a win. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be slow and we want to be deep. We want to be slow because it takes time to build community. We live in a hyper-mobile and hyper-individualistic society. So you have... You have the rise of an online church, which I don't want you to get the impression at all, all, all at, at any point during the sermon that I'm trying to be negative about a church or any other type of church. I'm simply describing what I feel that we've been called to be here at Sweetwater Christian Church. Um, but, but you have, a, you have a, a, a church that perhaps has this online presence. Um, you have even churches that are completely online. And the idea is convenience. Right, and you wake up and you're in your PJs and you just pop up on the laptop and you've got the church. But you're by yourself. It's individual. Even the way some churches do communion is individualized, right? I mean it's like almost literally McDonaldized for you. You got your, your little plastic saran wrapped communion and you serve it to yourself and it's convenient and repeatable and right there, clean and professionally done right in front of you. 
The average American is going to move 14 times in their life. This makes being a slow church hard. Building deep roots and deep connections, it makes it difficult by nature. Because people are moving around a lot. People like to do things on their own. And yet, like the author of Hebrews says, perhaps there's some blessing for a group of people who take seriously the idea that we should come together to form ourselves, to shape ourselves, to equip ourselves, to love, and to practice good works. You have churches who, when they come together, the goal is to reach as as many people as possible on on a Sunday morning. You might call it like seeker-sensitive. And that's not the model that we've chosen to take here. If, if, if you've come to our church for a while, you, you've probably heard me use words that you weren't aware of, right? Some of the time, it's just because I'm making them up. But and, and I kind of always, even when we do a sermon series where like we're doing songs from popular artists, I'm, I'm always going to try to really go out of my way to make sure we, we dive pretty deeply into a, a biblical text because, we, again, we want to be formed and shaped in this deep and impactful way. You see, the, the importance of church and the importance of meeting together and encouraging one another and shaping one another up is because our world is so designed in such a specific way. The question is not whether you're being formed or shaped, it's what's forming and what's shaping you. I had the occasion this week to think about my relationship with social media. And social media is one of these things that's taken advantage of technology and science and really uses the latest cutting-edge neuroscience about how our minds work and, and how our reward systems and dopamine and all that stuff um, uh, gets us into certain habits and behaviors and addictions. And what I noticed was that I was using social media to do a few things. One, to distract myself from, from negative emotions, from things I would rather not think about or deal with. It's not a healthy thing to do. And then I would use it to, to distract myself and just stay busy to not get something accomplished that needed to get accomplished for whatever reason. And I would use it, and I would not pay attention to how it was making me feel. So like I would be reading news, and it would just be making me upset and putting me in a bad mood. And I never stopped to ask, like, is this useful? Is this helpful? Is this, is this what I need to be doing right now? You see, we often just think of things like social media as things that we do. I, I, I do Twitter, but Twitter does something to you. Does this make sense? We, we often think, I watch cable news. I just, the TV is something that I do something with, but the TV does something to you. At all times, when you walk into the store and you see the advertisements, when the mail comes and the credit card offers are given to you, you're being shaped and formed. Your wants and desires are being pushed in a certain direction. And what the church does in worship is we try to counterform the cultural rights. We try to practice intentionally remembering who we are, remembering who God is, remembering what we're called to do. And and we I might even really argue, right, like one hour a week just at a, a church service on a weekend is probably not enough to counteract the 167 other hours of the week, right? I mean, if that's, if that's all you got 
in your spiritual formation toolbox, you're probably being overwhelmed by everything else that's out in the world. Not that, again, any of these things are negative. It's just uh, we've got to be intentional. What, what are we wanting? What are we desiring? Where are we moving? What do we want to go towards? And as the people of God, as, as your pastor at Sweetwater Christian Church, we want to consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. In a fast world, where relationships are often not very deep and not very long. And in church environments where we often just leave the moment we're disappointed or upset because there's another one down the street to try out, my challenge to you would be this. Try to go slower. What if there's blessing in committing? What if there's a blessing in taking the time to take the time to live this life of Jesus. In a world that's often shallow, in a world that often would rather deal with things that are easy, avoid things that are uncomfortable, what if we were called to be deep and to go deeper? And this is my invitation to be a slower church, to be a deeper church, to be a community of people that takes the time to take the time to live the way of Jesus together. And so I've got three three things I want to ask of you this morning as we wrap up. I want to ask you first to connect. So these are three ways. How could we resist the kind of McDonaldization of the church? How can we be a slow church and a deep church? I want you to connect. I want you to live life with other people. I want you to um, have meals with other people. I want you to make relationships with other people. I want you to build roots that last a long time. I want you to be able to share stories 20 years later about all the things that God has done in your life, all the ways God's moved among you. I want us to perfect the art of sharing meals and sharing missions, of eating together and working together. Connect. The, the second thing is to commit. To commit, to, to engage, to, to serve, to volunteer, to give, to bring friends, to invite. We live in a hypermobile world. We live in an individualistic world. And, and one of the most faithful, Christ-like things we can do in a countercultural way, I think, is to commit to a community in a deep and consistent and powerful way. You know, one of the best advice um, that I ever got about preaching, I think, was to not try to hit a home run every week. And so when I write a sermon or think about a sermon series, I don't ask the question, how would this change someone's life listening to it for that 30, 40 minutes? That's a lot of pressure, first of all, and you're going to take a lot of whiffs if you, if you try to do that. The question I ask is, what would, what would happen to a community if they listened to my sermons for 10 or 15 or 20 years? Like, what would happen if we really stuck together and worked through the scriptures together and grew together? For many of you who've been at the church for the last decade, you've seen me grow and change, and we've grown and changed together. So we, we connect, we commit, we engage 
You can join a community group, attend events. And then I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to pray for yourself and then to pray for the church. St. Teresa of Avila once said this. She said, you, you pay God a great compliment by asking great things of him. She's a remarkable woman, 16th century theologian, religious reformer. The first woman ever, actually, that the Catholic Church declared to be a doctor of the church, a saint. There's only four now. And, and she said this, and I think it's so profound, right? You pay God a compliment by asking great things of him. If you were to come to me and say, hey, Mike, can I have a piece of paper? I'd say, no, it's not in our budget. Um, but I certainly wouldn't feel complimented. But if you, if you came to me and you said, hey, Mike, I, I need a speaker for my, my business, and uh, you want to you come out and, and try to motivate and inspire some people, I, I would be like, oh, wow, this is, you must think something of me. You must, you must really appreciate my, my, my speaking and, and teaching skills. I would feel complimented about it. And, and, and so often when we pray or when we think or when we imagine what God might do in and through us or in and through our church, I think we have small imaginations and we don't pay God as many compliments as we could. And I love all the things that God has done in our church over the past 10 years. Just looking around the room right now, I can tell you I love being your pastor. I love the stories that we share. I love the tears that we have had together. and I like the laughs we've shared even more. I like the people that we've reached. I like the prayers that we've prayed. But I think God has more for us. I think God has bigger things for us. I think even right now in our community, in the Sugarland area, in the greater Houston area, there's dozens and hundreds and thousands of people who have been burned by church or have been bored by church. And, and you might love to find a slower church and a deeper church. Like many of you I know are here this morning because for whatever reason, on the website, through a friend, just driving by, you showed up and something clicked and, and you said, this is the type of community that I, I've been seeking, even if I didn't maybe know the, the words for it. This is the type of church that I long for and want to be able to, to contribute to. And there's more of you out there. And there's people to reach, and there's lives to change. And there's a kingdom of God to advance. And there's more people to introduce to Christ. And so I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to pray for the church, for myself and the church leaders. This year, the elders and I are going to try to get a real specific three- to five-year plan and, and vision for the next step of our church. And I want you to pray for yourself and for your family, the way God might be wanting to use you. And when you pray, remember what St. Teresa has taught us. Ask great things. Pay God a compliment. It's a privilege to serve here. I love worshiping with you all. And I look forward to what God will continue to do as we come together to encourage one another.